Okay, we're going to open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians as we get back into that study. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A while back... I. I joined the fire department. My son Tim was joining the fire department and he asked me if I was interested in doing it with him. And, and the fire department was low on numbers. They were about eight people short of what they liked to have. And I thought with my construction background, my understanding of buildings and stuff like that, it might be useful. So I joined the fire department. One of the things that I've been a little bit surprised at is how many car accidents we've been brought out to. If you have a rollover accident like that, there's always, of course, danger of fire. I have been at one where a truck just caught on fire driving down the highway, and we got called to put out that fire, and there were some real learning experiences in that as well. One of the things that I've really noticed is the importance of a seatbelt. I've always known it, and I, I wear a seatbelt regularly. I've I got to confess, I do have one ticket for not wearing one at one time because I was on a job, and I jumped in the truck to run and get something, and... Drove went right by a state patrolman, and he didn't care what I was going to get. I got the ticket. But by and large, I try to remember all the time to get that seatbelt on. It's for good reason. I remember several years ago, I was talking to an officer, and I was asking him a few things. It was at a mock-up thing that they were doing at the school that they usually do every spring. And I, I was asking him a few questions about car accidents that he'd seen and stuff like that, because they were all focused on safety there. And and he told me this. He says, you know what, I've never, I've never unbuckled a dead person. Kind of stuck in my mind. Since that time, I've asked other law enforcement officials that I've known. I ask them, have you ever unbuckled a dead person? And I have yet to meet a police officer that has unbuckled a dead person. The couple of rollover accidents that I've been on, I've been amazed at how far you can be from your car by the time that car ends up rolling through the ditch. And I'm surprised at the, at the sightings. I've been at a, an accident where a guy that was my size or bigger went through his window. Not, I don't think it was the front windshield. It was his driver's side window. And I think about what it would take to get me out that driver's side window. I can't imagine doing it at a high speed. Uh, I've been at uh, an accident where an individual went through their sunroof on their car as the car is flipping down the ditch. And I just can't imagine what kind of force does that. I was talking to one police officer one time, and they told me that they had actually seen a scene where a passenger in a car got thrown from the car and their shoes were still on the floor of the car where they sat. That seatbelt's a pretty important thing. Did you catch all that, Chloe? Okay. (laughs) She just got her license, and I'm excited for her. That seatbelt is an important thing to keep us safe. The reason I bring that up is because we've been looking at those kinds of things 
as he's been talking about the armor of God. And the helmet was one of those kind of things. It was, it was the seat belt for the soldier. Why? Because when the soldiers were in hand-to-hand combat, they were usually against people with a broadsword. The broadsword was a sword that was a sword you'd hold with two hands, and it was a long thing. Horseback riders would come by swinging those things, aiming for your head. And that's what that helmet was there for, to keep it from splitting your head open. And so it was there for their protection. Well, as we're looking at it this morning, God, through the Apostle Paul, is telling us, I have some things for your protection. Satan is after you. You're in a battle. Whether you recognize it or not, it's better that you recognize it. He says, you're in a battle, and I have some things for your protection. And we've been going through those things one at a time. The Gospel and and truth and righteousness. and Those things are there for our protection. And as we look at it this morning, we're dealing with the helmet of salvation. The helmet was usually either a a thick piece of leather that would come down over their head and around onto their cheek that would have fastened to it some pieces of metal or hard things. Or it was often fabricated out of metal. But it was usually made out of one of those two kinds of things and it was put there for their protection, for their safety. Well, as we're engaged in this spiritual warfare, God has given us the helmet of salvation. He refers to it as that not only in Ephesians here, but he also refers to it as the helmet of salvation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9. It says, But since we are belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he refers to it in a couple places in the Bible, our helmet being the helmet of salvation, that which would protect us. Well, as we consider that here this morning, we need to look at our experience of salvation. And I think that it's important for us to look at our experience of salvation in three different ways. In the Bible, it looks at salvation as sometimes being a past event, sometimes being a present event that we're participating in right now, and sometimes being a future event. What it's assuming here is it's assuming that it's talking to somebody that's already saved. You've experienced salvation in the past. You are experiencing salvation currently, and you're looking forward to experiencing it in the future. We need all three of these experiences. They're all a package deal. They come as one. Some of them are something that happens at a certain point in time. In fact, the first aspect and the last aspect, the the past and the future, both of those are a point in time. They're punctiliar. They happen at a certain point in time. happens right now, right in a second. The middle one is a process. It's a process that's ongoing and, and takes place throughout your life with an end goal of bringing you to that maturity. But as we look at it here this morning, the first of these experiences is salvation's past experience. And the word that the Bible has for that is the word justification. Now, the word justification means, the easiest way to remember it is if you kind of take apart the word and say, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification or to be justified means. It's a legal term. It's a term that means that God in His court Even though you were guilty of your sin because of Christ dying in your place, paying your penalty, and then you putting your faith in Christ, at that point, God says this person is justified. In other words, even though they did those things, they're forgiven, they're innocent, they're justified. And this deals with being delivered from sin's penalty. 
If we look at the way the Apostle Paul within the book of Ephesians has addressed salvation up to this point, we see this. In, back in chapter 1, verse 13, when he was talking about their salvation, he says, In Him you also, and in Him, of course, being in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so he's talking to them about the moment that they were saved, the moment that they experienced that salvation. Now, right before this, he told them that they were chosen by God before the foundation of the world and predestined by God to arrive at this point. But it's not until that moment, at that moment when you hear and you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He died for your sins and rose again from the dead to give you life, and you believe in Him, that is the moment that you are saved. And so if you have already come to that moment in your life, then that's your past salvation. At that moment, you were delivered from your sin. You were forgiven. You were brought out from under its condemnation. If you've not arrived at that moment yet, you need to. In fact, that's often one of the hardest things uh, in seeing somebody come to Christ is, is to get them to the point to where they realize they haven't been there yet. That's the way I was like. I thought, well, I didn't really understand salvation because I thought, well, what a, I'm a pretty good guy. Well, not if you measure me before God, I'm not. That's the point we got to come to when we experience that salvation. Well, later in Ephesians, in chapter 2, he deals with salvation in, in referring to it in the past tense. as something that has already happened to them. To start off with, he lays the groundwork for it and tells them, reminds them of what they were before they had Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so he said we were separated from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then he goes on to talk about how in our dead condition, Christ came and raised us up. And then in verse 5, he says this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Now notice what he says, By grace, you have been saved. It's already done. It's in the past. You already have been saved. A couple verses later in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so you see, he keeps dealing with it in the past tense in that sense as he's walking through the book of Ephesians. Once we put our faith in Christ, the Bible repeatedly refers to us as being saved, that we have been saved, that we have already experienced salvation. That sin is no longer hanging over our head. It was nailed to the cross and it's staying there. It's gone. It's separated from us as far as, like the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. The penalty of sin, we are no longer underneath that penalty. But here's the deal. That is a point in time thing. That happens right at a certain point. There's a moment where you believe. Can you think of that moment in your life? It has to be a moment. Because... You weren't born believing. You weren't born believing anything. You may have been brought up your whole life being taught about it, but there has to be, if you're saved today, there has to be a moment when you came to believe. We know that for several reasons. We already talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It said, the moment you heard the Gospel and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means one moment ago you weren't sealed, now you are sealed. There is no kind of halfway sealed. 
by the Holy Spirit. Either Holy Spirit is in you or He's not in you. It's one or the other. Look at the other terminology that the Bible uses. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you are alive in Christ. There is no... He was dead. Now He's mostly dead. And then now He's partially dead, partially alive. And then now He's mostly alive. And then now He's alive. You see, that doesn't even make any sense at all, does it? You're either dead or you're alive. And that's the kind of language it uses to describe this salvation. You were dead without Christ. Now you're alive in Christ. It, It had to happen just right at a certain point in time. That's exactly what Jesus is referring to when He talks to Nicodemus and says, you must be born again. When you give birth to a baby, they write it down right there. You were born at. And they write down the exact minute that you were born. That's the way salvation is. There is a minute. There is a second when faith in you ignited and you were saved. Or we don't have it. But at the moment of salvation, from that time on, He refers to salvation in them as Something that happened in their past. Well, as I said, the word, the New Testament word for this is justification. And it emphasizes the fact that our justification, our salvation happens, just like it says in Ephesians, through grace. It's by grace and through faith. Back in Romans, in chapter 3 and following is, is where he really focuses a lot on this idea of justification, being justified before God. Romans 3.20, he says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law isn't there for you to earn your way up to God or for you to achieve goodness. The law is there to show you that you're really not that good, that you've broken it. And so he says, nobody's going to be justified before God by looking to the law. The only way to be justified before God is by looking to Christ, because He paid our penalty. And that's what it goes on to tell us in Romans 3.21-25. through 25, It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. In other words, to take all that and boil it down is to say, look, the salvation, the justification, the only way to be justified before God is not through the law. Even though the law pointed to it, it's only through Christ. He's the price that was laid down for our sin. And now when we put our faith in Him, we stand justified before God. And then he, just to make sure that they didn't miss the point, in verse 28 of the same chapter, he tells them, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the law. Now, he's going to go on from there. When he gets into chapter 4, he's going to use Abraham as an example. He says, look, Abraham was a good guy. If we're going to be justified by our works, he would actually have some bragging rights until you line him up next to God. Then you realize he doesn't have any bragging rights either. What was Abraham's experience? Abraham's experience wasn't that he kept the law. The law wasn't even given yet. Or that he just did all these good deeds. What was Abraham's experience? It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so after spending several chapters of this, he kind of comes to a conclusion. And in Romans chapter 8, in verse 1, this is his conclusion. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as we consider our salvation this morning, 
the first way that we experience salvation is that point in time where you realize your sin before God, you realize your dead state before God, and you realize what Christ did for you on the cross, and you put your faith in Him at that moment, you have been saved. You are, as the Bible tells us, justified before God. As you stand before the courts of God, you no longer have that sin hanging over your head. It's been swept away by the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's another part of salvation that we experience. When God reached down into your life and and ignited faith in your heart to believe in Christ, He did not do that so that He could leave you in that sin for the rest of your life on this earth. His salvation is more complete than that. His salvation is going to end with you being holy in the presence of a holy God. His salvation work within us is that we come to faith in Christ and we're delivered from the penalty of our sin. But then He also, His salvation includes us growing in our faith, growing in our knowledge of Him, and day by day gaining victory, being saved from the power of sin in our life. So we're saved, first of all, from sin's penalty. That's gone. Now we need to be saved daily from sin's power in our life. Because when we first come to Christ, there's an instantaneous change. Now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's dwelling within us. But your whole life doesn't change right off the bat. Remember when we were dealing with it earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4? He talked about how we need to continue to put off Like we're changing clothes. Take off the old man. Put off the old man. Put on the new man, which is created in in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new man, which is in Christ. That's the process that we need to be involved in. And that process takes our whole life long. The first part, the last part, those are point in time things. This is a process that we're involved in in our whole life. As the goal is holiness. We now have a status of being in Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ. Now we learn how to live out that righteousness. This is dealing with salvation's present experience. And the Bible word for that, or the theological term that we use, is sanctification. The word sanctified means to be set apart. It kind of has two meanings, being set apart unto God. And it also deals with the idea of growing in our personal holiness. The Bible uses salvation in an ongoing uh, way as well. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain, by which you are being saved. There's an element of our salvation that I look back and I say, I was saved June 2nd, 1985. I know exactly the moment that all of a sudden I believed and I invited Christ in my life. When I say I was saved at this date or this time, that is an accurate biblical way for me to use the word. But if I say I'm being saved, that is also an accurate biblical way for me to use the word. Because since June 2nd, 1985, I've been involved in a process where the Holy Spirit came into my life that morning and He's been in it ever since. And He's been leading me along And there's temptations that I've learned to overcome. And there's sins and struggles that I've gained power over. And there's others that I continue to struggle with. 
And as I grow in the Spirit and walk closer to Christ, I grow more and more. That is an experience of my salvation. My salvation started there, continues through here, and ends here in the finished result. And I'm not there yet. But this part is an ongoing process of sanctification by which I am being separated unto God through this process. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 26 It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see the point? Christ gave himself for the church. And why did why did Christ do that? Here's Christ, and listen, you're the church. Church. This this is his goal in your life, that he might sanctify you. That means draw you apart separate to Himself. He says washing her with water, cleansing her. You know, I remember the day that I was standing at the front of the church watching Lisa walk down that aisle. And I was so thrilled. She's about to be mine. It wasn't for me to be able to share her with anybody else. It was all mine. And Jesus says, that's the heart that I have for the church. I want the church to all be mine. Separated unto me. The only thing that gets in the way of that is sin. He says, sin's got to go. I want her cleansed, so I'm going to wash her. I'm going to wash that church with the Word and clean her and sanctify her to myself. And that's the process that we're all in in our daily lives, both individually and collectively with one another, being delivered from the power of sin in our lives so we can walk in a powerful way with Christ. You know, I like the way Miller J. Erickson, in his book on systematic theology, He put it this way, he said, Sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of the believer, making him or her actually holy. Sanctification is a process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status before God. I love that part. That is so cool. Because what he's saying is, the moment that you were saved, believed in Christ, you were given a new status. And you know what your new status is? Justified, innocent. But your habits might still be corrupt. But he says sanctification is a process that brings your behaviors and your values more in line with your legal status. Because when you first come to Christ, you're basically a guilty person that's now innocent. But you haven't been living innocent. But this ongoing process is about making your life, it's exactly what the book of Ephesians is doing. Remember he told us in in the very beginning, the first three chapters, in Christ, this is who you are. You're a child of God. The next three chapters, now, live like it. That is the whole process. Our salvation, we experience it. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we're now righteous before God. Now, our life's deeds should become righteous to match who we are. You see, every other religion in the world, it's you do these things to become this. Christianity is completely different. Christianity is God reaches down into your life and makes you His child. Now, live like it. And that's what sanctification is all about. The last part of this quotation is, in particular, sanctification is the Holy Spirit's applying to the life of the believer the work done by Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, begins to apply that gospel to our life in all different areas of life, and we become more and more like Christ, a little bit every day. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, he dealt with that. Now that you have been set free from sin, that's your salvation before, 
and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Romans chapter 6 is all about the fact that you used to be in bondage to sin. Jesus Christ set you free from that. So don't live like you're in bondage to it anymore. Live like you're bound to Christ. Live like you're bound to God instead of being in bondage and slavery to that sin. That is us continuing to be saved. That is God's work within us. And you know what? That's a really cool thing when you think about it. Because I think back to Ephesians chapter 4. And when he's telling us to put off that old man and put on the new man, and what did he, he start off talking about being at uh, the deceitful desires that we have that we need to get rid of? And then that happens through this process of putting on the new man and getting rid of the old man. And then he talks about, you know, put away falsehood, speak the truth, don't steal anymore, but work so that you have something not only to take care of yourself with, but to help other people that are in need deals with anger issues. And then toward the end, he lists a a few other issues. We need to put away bitterness and malice and these negative sins in our lives. Here's the encouragement that I give from that. Is that when God saved me, His idea of salvation is so complete that He doesn't just want to save me from sin's penalty. In other words, that I'm not afraid of hell anymore. He also wants to... he, He doesn't want to do that and then leave me under the power of sin in my life. He wants to deliver, go on to deliver, continue to deliver me from the power of sin in my life. And I need to get on board and cooperate with that. He sanctifies us. He works that within us. And we need to work it out of us. That salvation continues to have that impact in our life. I'll tell you what. If you're going to bank on the first part of this salvation and not grow through the second part of this salvation, you do not have your armor on. And you will not be protected to Satan's schemes. Because these are the things that protect us. These are the things that strengthen us. And lastly, the last point of our salvation, that is the the future experience of our salvation. And that is, uh, the Bible speaks of that as being glorification, that we're glorified in God's presence. And that's where we're finally saved, not just from sin's penalty, not just from sin's power, but we're actually saved from sin's presence. At that point, sin is completely done away with. We're in the presence of God and uh, that's the point where like Revelation talks about there being no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. Even the presence of sin will be gone, will be delivered from that as well. It's the same kind of thing. It's a point in time activity. At one moment, we're going to be glorified and in God's presence and be delivered from the very presence of sin. Well, we find this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood... So remember, that's the past salvation. How much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? The wrath of God is what God's going to pour out on the earth in the end times. You find it mentioned a lot in the book of Revelation. Since we have already been saved, we're going to be saved. There's a salvation that's past that I've already experienced. Well, that promises me the salvation in the future where I'm actually rescued from the wrath of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 mentions at least two of these things. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. So calling is God's work in your heart at the point of salvation to bring you to that faith in Christ. And those whom He called, He justified. That's the moment we put our faith in Christ and we are justified. And it says, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now notice, how many people that God justified get glorified? All. All of them. This salvation is a much bigger than just being forgiven just removing the penalty. It will also remove the power of sin in your life as we 
cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our growth, and it will bring us to that point of glorification when we are finally in the image of Christ and removed from the presence of sin. Romans chapter 13, verse 11, he acknowledges this as well. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Well, you say, well, wait a minute. I thought I already was saved at the moment that I believed. You were. But it's also right to say our salvation is closer. It's getting closer. It's not here yet, but it's getting closer. Why? Because there is that future aspect as well as that past aspect. And so when we come to this passage and it tells us your salvation is your helmet, what exactly is salvation? Well, salvation is the moment that you come to Christ and you believe in Him and you're forgiven, you're delivered from the penalty of your sin. Salvation is the ongoing process whereby you're sanctified, set apart to God and, and grow closer to Him and you become more and more holy where your behavior comes more in line with who you are in Christ. And your salvation is ultimately when you get to be before Christ and enjoy Him forever.